All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, note to self. My name is Hannah and I'm from Bethesda, Maryland. I tend to find tech miscommunications between generations just hilarious. My 87-year-old grandfather recently got a smartphone And the other day he wanted to check the score of a Kansas City basketball game. And he starts screaming into his phone, Google, Google. I got the honor to teach my mom exactly what happens when you send a group text because she sent a picture of a sunset that said, beautiful sunset, wish you were here, to all four of her boyfriends at once. That's bad. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. This week, you just don't get it. But we can communicate better on our phones, on text, on social, IRL. That's in real life, Mom. We have answers. We asked you, dear listeners, for some stories about your parents or your kids, and some of them really made us cringe. Like Tracy, who you heard calling from Tallahassee, the one whose mom sent a group text message to all four of her boyfriends at once. She had to field all of the calls saying, who is this? Who is this? Uh... So she called me in a panic, and I got to explain that when you send a group text, everybody gets everybody's phone number. Needless to say, she is not dating any of them anymore. But she is happily married, and she knows how to group text. That one had a happy ending. But communicating by text or email or social media, you told us, so often results in misunderstandings, especially between different generations. Sometimes those results are funny. But often the interactions are also kind of painful. My neighbor Kay was really sick and my mom texted me one day and said, Kay died today and... Then she put the laughing so hard that you're crying emoji or tears of joy emoji. And it was so unsettling that I called her immediately and she had no idea that that did not mean crying and sadness. Some of these interactions even end up being divisive. So I wrote my mom a long email and buried in the middle were four short sentences about having a girlfriend. As soon as I hit send, I felt like I'd planted a bomb. What is the best way to talk to your parents or your child other than face-to-face? Should kids tell their parents about their inappropriate postings? What should parents tell their kids when the president himself is an aggressive, some would say trolling, social media user? How can grandparents and grandchildren find middle ground? So I am Gail Saltz, MD. To answer these questions and more, we brought in a specialist. 
I am Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, Weill Cornell Medical School. Time for some family therapy, everyone. Dr. Gale says whenever someone sits on her couch to talk, these days they have to start by being clear about what tools they're actually using to interact with the people in their life. You don't get it could be the the catch-all phrase for why are you on your computer only and not spending time with other people? That makes me uncomfortable or nervous. Plus, I don't know what's going on over there if you're my child. But also, kids are uncomfortable with parents who don't seem to get it and yet are pushing back in certain kinds of ways or are deprecating or, you know, you name it. But I also see a lot of misunderstanding happening. I am often dealing with the problem of parent-child interactions via text or some other method where there's been a breakdown in communication. Things sounded great. How was I supposed to know you were miserable? I have a couple examples that we got from our listeners. Like one was this woman says that her dad always responds. Like if she sends him a sweet text, like, have a great day, dad, he responds with a K, literally one letter, K. And I've tried to tell him so many times that K, just period, just K, the letter, kind of means you're mad or, like, angry and don't want to talk to somebody. But no matter how many times I tell him to jazz it up, you know, say, okay, exclamation point, or KK, he just sticks with the one letter K. You know, it's amazing to me that a single punctuation mark can carry so much connotation. And it shouldn't. For someone like me, this is all ripe for terrible miscommunication unless you talked about it. This other listener sounded so, he left us a voice memo, and he sounded so irritated with his mother. His brother had gone, he's obviously an amateur photographer, he had gone on this beautiful Wild West sort of trip and posted this really gorgeous photographs and put captions, and it just looked gorgeous. Then our mom commented on the photo with no semblance of premeditation or care because her comment, and I quote, was, This looks like that place we stopped and shit some pics between Flagstaff and Grand Canyon. Clearly, she meant shot some pics, but made a typo. And in addition to spelling pics P-I-C-K-S, Half Dome looks nothing like anything between Flagstaff and Grand Canyon. It was almost like she'd, you know, scribbled all over in crayon over his brother's beautiful piece of art. She didn't understand the gravitas of just putting up a picture. (laughs) Obviously, we are so desensitized because it's such a flood of information. There are so many videos and pictures and in being desensitized and not having enough of a reaction, it can be hurtful. So we all have to be mindful of how much input we're we're taking in. It's too much. And we're getting somewhat desensitized to violence, to sexual content, and even to cute, cute content. You know, even like even cute, cute. How many puppies can you look at a day? Okay, I wanna troubleshoot another one with you. I had a college dean come up to me and say 
that she is really struggling because when freshmen enroll in college, these kids are having a constant texting relationship with their parents to the point that they're they're like, I didn't get my first choice for my history professor. And they text the parent and then the parent goes straight to her because they are hearing about every little detail. Every time there's a disappointment, they hear about it on text. The college thing is very interesting. On the one hand, it is nice for this communication to be able to happen, to be able to stay in touch because it's often the first time away from home. It often helps with separation. On the other hand, it used to be, right, that you would go to college and you would call home once a week. Right. And what would happen at that call? You would have already digested the high, high and the low, low of the week. And now you have perspective. So you can offer your parent the climate of school. Mm -hmm. But now what's going on is the kids are reporting, as you said, the temperature, not the climate, the like right now it's 87 degrees. No, it's 86 degrees. But what I would say to parents is to keep assuring your child that they can probably figure this out, A, and whatever they do, do not call the school. Do not, do not. You're really torpedoing your child. I mean, it really needs you to be a parent. But sometimes the kid will say, my mom's my best friend. What they mean is I really like my mom and I really do get along well with my mom and I really respect or, you know, would ask my mom about things, not that they're a best friend like their best friend. So I have a theory about them feeling like why they like their mom and why there's not as many authoritarian sort of figurehead parents. And I think part of it is that that kids, kids today, kids today, they are teaching the parents something for the first time. Like, let me show you how Spotify works or whatever. There right. could be so many reasons. And I see that in the workplace, too, that the younger workers have something to teach the older generation, whereas it always used to be top down. So um, it's a fair point. I think right now what we're seeing is many reactions to a body of authoritarian parents. So you had many because I told you so, and that is the way it is. And then those kids grow up to be adults who have children to say, well, I'm not going to do that to my kid. I know how that felt. I'm not going to be that kind of parent. So what happens? They make their own mistakes. So you've got more permissive parents. You've got helicopter parents. So now you're going to be the kind of parent. I'm going to help my child. Um I've got another case study for you. So I met a family over the weekend. We were chatting. They have two girls, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. And the woman said, you know, last year we got rid of every single screen in our house. And I was like, whoa, that seems rather extreme. Do you mind telling me what happened? And she said it happened several times that they discovered that their 13-year-old had stayed up all night playing games on the computer to the point where they had locked the computer in the car and she'd gone out to the car in the middle of the night, gotten the laptop back in and didn't sleep that night. And they just said, you know, it's like having an addict in the house. You have to clean out the drug. You got to have nothing there. But I'm like, yeah, but this person is going to have to live with technology eventually. Is that the right way to go about it? Get rid of it? Or is there yeah. something to be taught like self-regulation? Yeah. So here's the difficult thing about technology. It's sort of like sexual addiction in the sense that you have this compulsion or this intense desire with reward for doing whatever the thing is. And the reward causes you to release dopamine in the brain, which causes you to feel quite addicted, like the pleasure, and then I want to do it again. But much like a sexual addiction, I 
the reason I use that example is it's not something that one is going to swear off for life because you would so severely hamper and limit their ability to function in this world. The prevailing wisdom is that you do want to take them off of just about everything for some period of time and then slowly wean them back to whatever is really necessary, really regulating how much time per day is spent Mm. doing it. That is very, very difficult. It is very difficult to do with a child, but I will say, depending on that, the brain chemistry of that kid and other things that are going on, you really can have a terrible problem. I really tell parents from the get-go, as soon as you introduce any of these things in your home, they should be in public places. Mm -hmm. Start them in public places. They don't leave public places. Because once you've moved it to their room, you have a problem. I just made that rule. No devices in the bedroom. None. Don't have phones in there at night. Of course, my son was like, well, you have it there. I was like, well, it's my alarm clock. And I'm an adult. That's, I am the parent. You're not his best friend. Right. You get to say, I'm the parent here. Yes. Because I am the parent and I can control myself. Most of the time. (laughs) Well, we'll talk later. That's why I have a whole show. We'll talk later. (laughs) In a minute, Dr. Gail Saltz and I do talk some more and more scenarios from you listeners, plus a story about breaking some hard news to your parents and what can happen when you do so via email. We're back. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and this is Note to Self's episode about how different generations talk to each other online or with texting and why sometimes these methods end up in miscommunication, sometimes even very painful miscommunication. Like what happened to Kathy, too, when she came out to her mom in an email twice and then again with an extra technological assist. Kathy is the co-host of WNYC's newest podcast, Nancy where she told this story. So I wrote my mom a long email, and buried in the middle were four short sentences about having a girlfriend. As soon as I hit send, I felt like I'd planted a bomb. And her mom never responded. They just never talked about it. So a few years later, Kathy tried again. I found a Mandarin flyer from a local gay rights organization. In bold type at the top, it said, awkwardly translated, after your children came out, a guide for parents of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender children. I started a new email, attached the flyer, and pressed send. I emailed my mom, who was downstairs. And again, her mom didn't respond. Kathy went downstairs, asked if she got her email. Her mom said yes. And that was kind of it. So for her third try, Kathy decided to sit her mom down in person. Hello, hello. Yeah. With some help. Okay, so this is what I was thinking. We're going to talk about things, and then we're going to use Google Translate for the things that don't make any sense. Yeah, Kathy's parents mostly speak Mandarin, and Kathy's Mandarin is not that great. She grew up here in the States. So she figured maybe that was why part of their communication hadn't worked before. This time, we were going to talk. 
She had the tools she needed to ask whatever she wanted and to say what she wanted. And I could too. So I did. Finally, Kathy's mom heard her. Kathy didn't get the response that she was hoping for, at least not right then. But sitting down in person was a turning point. It may feel easier to hide behind emails or texts, says Dr. Gail Saltz. But for the big conversations about illness or death or sexuality, you got to get face to face. Even if it's through a screen, because the possibility of miscommunication for missing something, a facial expression, the nuance and a certain type of punctuation, it's high. When you can't have in-person time, I think visual is next best. So that's why I say Skyping. When that can't be had, voice is is better than texting. You know, pick up the phone. And I would put, you know, texting, honestly, the last on the list. The last. The last on the list. It's better than nothing. Right. It is devoid of facial expression. It is interpretable, depending on your generation, in so many different ways. You might think you said a whole lot with your emojis and they didn't get any of it. But then you're walking around thinking that they did get it and now you have certain expectations going forward and they're not going to be met. I had a listener get in touch and say that the problem wasn't oversharing with her family. The problem was undersharing. There was an expectation in her family that if you don't post what you're doing all the time, that something is wrong. Her family was like, hello, you know, why aren't you updating your Facebook page? What is going on in your life? Something must be falling apart. Wow. Well, sometimes when you're being criticized by your family, you're not the problem. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> but, <good> to hear. <laughs> but you do have to communicate that. So mm-hmm. in other words, being able to say, hey, look, uh, you know, I want to live my life more than I want to post my life. And, you know, I got lots of things going on. So this doesn't mean I'm not living my life. When parents come in concerned that kids are over-selfing or, believe it or not, under-selfing, they have a point. And this is the thing. So someone who spends all their time posting, 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 there's probably a tremendous insecurity going on. So I don't consider that a sign of great mental health if you're constantly needing to post. On the other hand, if you are never posting and you are in a demographic of posters, that may also indicate something is going on. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the teen girl who never posts a selfie might actually be harboring that she hates the way she looks. Extremes do often indicate something. But being in the middle on one end or the other probably does not. You know, I'm a psychiatrist. Yes. And the reality is that depression happens to teens and adults. Anxiety happens to teens and adults in pretty decent numbers. Social media contributes to that. Looking at a lot of it, higher incidences of depression and anxiety, and communicating via text makes it really difficult to know what is going on. You really need to be with your kid. Mm -hmm. If you have concerns that something is going on, you need to ask them in person, point blank. Are you depressed? Are you overly anxious? Do you have thoughts of suicide? You can save your child's life. You can save a friend's life. You can save a family member's life. Do you think that you're seeing more cases of depression and anxiety? And would you, maybe it's not directly 
caused by being on social media, but do you see any correlation? We we certainly are seeing more depression and anxiety. And I think that it's hard to know, you know, what about our fast-paced, less personal world is contributing to that. And at the same time, all of that is going on, stigma around mental health issues has remained as potent as ever. Mm. And so people uh, tend not to ask, and they tend not to sort of say, like, look, we have to get help. Mm. And we could be even talking about their own children because it's painful to acknowledge something's going on. If we could just say maybe three quick tips to give people to make your family life harmonious. And whether you have kids or not, we all have parents, you know, something, an intergenerational sort of thing to do. I think I've gleaned one from you, which is talk about how you communicate and whether it's working for you and your family. Like, mom, your texts are kind of weirding me out. Can we switch to like a weekly or twice a weekly phone call? Would that be cool? Like, just Absolutely. So, so I always say start out with some form of, I care about you. I, you know, I, like Affirm. some positive affirmation. Don't start with you this. Okay. Start with, I feel this. Okay. Okay. So if, for instance, if having to post every other second is making you feel put upon, uncomfortable, you know, like you're spending your whole time on the computer being able to say, I feel like I'm obligated to do this, but I don't want to because of these reasons. So I would really like to be able to talk about how we can change this system. And here's point number two, compromise. Mm. You have to try in that sense to stand in the other person's shoes for a minute. Empathy. This is what it feels like to be them. Aha. mm, Okay. I get that. Now, where are we going to have some meeting in the middle or taking turns or whatever the form of compromise might be? And I guess I would say, really consider how you fight. Mm. Because Fighting will happen. It simply will. But where uh, things go down the tubes and you'd start to develop contempt and disdain and things that are really toxic and erosive in a relationship is when the fighting becomes, you know, accusatory, below the belt, hurtful. So fighting is important, actually. Having good fights, <laughs> mm-hmm. having healthy fights where you try to say, you know, I really disagree with you and here is why. You might even get somewhat heated. That's okay as long as you're not whipping out nasty things that you might not be – even if you say you're sorry later, it's hard to take back. I had a dad say to me, where are the role models when the president of the United <sighs> States is spewing on Twitter And speaking so uncivilly and, you know, never mind whether what he's saying is actually true or not, but just the tone in general. What are you telling parents? And I also hear from people, you know, it's not just the president. It's Uncle Ned who has a problem keeping, you know, keeping things civil. It's your job to help your child develop a moral compass. And you do that not by being judgmental, like, I hate that president or, you know, or that uncle is a loser, uh, not by being judgmental, but by saying this aspect of what they do, I don't think is good. And here is why. And let me explain it to you so it makes sense. Dr. Gail Saltz, thank you so much. Thank you. 
Dr. Gail Saltz has a new book out, by the way. It's called The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius. Many, many thanks to all our listeners who shared their stories about tech miscommunication. And many thanks to our WNYC Studios friends at the new podcast, Nancy. To hear how things finally worked out between Kathy and her mom, check it out at nancypodcast.org. And if you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, subscribe to them. And note to self, of course. The note to self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plord. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. Hi, Note to Self. This is Steve from Helsinki, Finland. I really felt old not too long ago when my young son asked me, Dad, when you were a kid, Was YouTube in black and white?